Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I have to first of all correct something, President. Is that all right? Sure. 21 grandchildren. If I left out those other two, I'd be in real trouble. So we're grateful for them. It's a special privilege to be with you today at Brigham Young University. I'm grateful for the opportunity. As I return to this campus, the wonderful far-reaching influence of BYU on our family fills my mind. That influence began before I was born when a young woman from Monroe, Utah, Exilda Nielsen enrolled at Brigham Young University and graduated in the class of 1932. She would later be the mother of my sweetheart and wife, Bonnie, who attended BYU for one year. She was ready to begin her sophomore year when I asked her to marry me, and she willingly sacrificed further formal education so that I could begin my college study that year. In fact, she paid the tuition for my second term. But she wouldn't go so far as to let me become Cosmo, even though I was asked to do that. (laughs) She has not returned to these hallowed halls as a student, but she has nurtured the whole of her family here. She bore two beautiful children while I completed my bachelor's degree in elementary education, and she endured the next four years while I taught school in California and completed a master's degree at San Francisco State College. During that time period, we were blessed with two more wonderful children. Over the next three years, she supported me with love and encouragement while I completed work for the Doctorate of Educational Psychology at University of Southern California. After completion of my doctorate and 13 years of university studies, I accepted a full-time teaching position in the College of Education here at BYU. It was for me and my family an honor and a privilege to associate for six years with the faculty and students of this great institution. I left BYU when I was called into full-time church service. Since that time, all of our six children have attended BYU and have graduated with degrees in humanities, interior design, finance, English, and education. Our son and his wife and son-in-law have law degrees from BYU Law School. Two sons-in-law have master's degrees in Marriott School of Business. And as you heard, Amy just graduated this past April in Humanities. Next semester, our oldest granddaughter will begin her first semester here, and thus our family's fourth generation at this great university, and this continues our family legacy at BYU. You can see that BYU has had and will continue to have a marked influence for good in our family. My heart is filled with gratitude to the Lord for all that His gospel and His Church have brought into my life and the life of my family. I am grateful that under the inspiration of heaven, Brigham Young caused that this institution should be established, with gospel truths serving as the foundation for all learning and teaching at BYU. How great the advantage to those who teach and study here. On the first day of this month, we celebrated the 200th anniversary anniversary of the birth of Brigham Young, prophet, president of the Church for 30 years. Last week, in a celebration held in in his honor in Salt Lake City at the Tabernacle, 
President Gordon B. Hinckley paid tribute to Brigham Young as the greatest entrepreneur this country has produced. No one of whom I know, he said, was engaged in such a wide variety of undertakings. Dean May, a Utah historian, states that there is no parallel to Brigham Young in the history of the settlement of the American West. An English historian wrote of him, Brigham Young dug canals, imported plants and animals, built railways and telegraphs, established industries and banks, and constructed theaters and universities, and encouraged literature, music, and art. He planned and erected temples and tabernacles still used by his people today. They are the wonder of, Amer of modern architects. He was the founder of a hundred cities and settlements. Actually, our historians tell us that it was more like 400 cities. And, the, and he was the governor of one of the territories of the United States. President Hinckley pointed out that while all of this was going on, he, that's Brigham Young, never lost sight of his greater mission. He was prophet, seer, and revelator to his people. So today it seems appropriate to say a few words about Brigham Young, the educator. Here was a man who received only 11 days of formal education, yet he became a leader of education and the founder of two great universities, Brigham Young University and University of Utah. So you need to have respect for your neighbor to the north. <laughs> he often spoke about the importance of education. In a conference of the Church in 1869, he said these words, this is our labor, our business, and our calling, to grow in grace and in knowledge from day to day and from year to year. He urged the people to promote schools and study and counsel school teachers to introduce every kind of useful studies into our schools. Brigham Young believed that a sound practical education was a necessary prerequisite <clears throat> for not only one's life's work, but for service to the Lord. He said, every minute of every day of our lives, we should strive to improve our minds. He established a school in his home for his children and then later built a schoolhouse close to their home where the children were taught the basics of education as well as manners of conduct. Following elementary school or education, his children were encouraged and assisted in furthering their knowledge and skills in their chosen fields of study. Brigham Young lived by the words he taught. We are the guardians of our children. Their training and education are committed to our care, and if we do not ourselves pursue a course which will save them from the influence of evil, when we are weighed in the balance, we shall be found wanting. Much of his greatness as a prophet and leader and father was his practical approach to life and to education. He taught that the gospel is to be our guide for daily living. He felt and taught that the religion of Jesus Christ is a matter-of-fact religion and taketh hold of the everyday duties and realities of this life. Well, while he encouraged learning and education in every kind of useful studies, he stressed that it is vital for us to learn and live by the teachings of Jesus Christ. He felt that the spiritual and temporal aspects of the gospel are as one in the mind of God. He taught, If I am in my line of duty, I am doing the will of God, whether I am preaching, praying, 
laboring with my hands for an honorable support, whether I am in the field, mechanic shop, or following mercantile business, or whatever duty calls, I am serving God as much in one place as another. And so it is with all, each in his place, turn, and time. Brigham Young's vision of education for his family and for members of the Church is practical for us in our place, turn, and time. During this demanding time of educational studies and pursuits, it is good for us to be reminded of the practical teachings of the gospel and their place as priorities in our lives. I'd like to focus on just a few of those practical teachings, which I shall call the simple things. Prayer is one principle and privilege that may be so simple an act that we fail to recognize its power and importance in our lives. I couldn't help but think of the hymn we began with today, how President Kimball used this as his theme song almost, always reminding us that he needed to lean upon the Lord. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. You'll remember that from one of our hymns. The smallest child can learn to pray daily and to recognize the guidance and blessings of a loving Heavenly Father. Recently, our 11-year-old grandson, Clark, was trying with all his energies and effort to get the lawnmower started so that he could complete the task of having the lawn mowed before his father returned from meeting me at the airport. Now, Clark's a dutiful boy and wanted to please his father and his grandfather by having the lawn looking at its best. Finally, after many frustrating moments of trying without success to get the mower started, he went to the telephone to call his mother. She was at a rehearsal at the church. She was there to preview a pageant that was being prepared for their stake youth conference and had been listening to the words of scripture and testimony of the prophets from the member actors who were portraying Mormon, Nephi, Alma, Moroni, and a stripling warrior. And therefore, when he asked his mother what he should do, her first thought was to say, Clark, pray about it. <laughs> Clark's first thought was, pray about starting a lawnmower? But the stripling warrior that he is, he didn't doubt his mother, and he didn't doubt the Lord. He thought, well, God created this whole world. Of course he can start a lawnmower. Well, he, he knew when he went back to try again that lawnmower would start, and it did, with very little effort from Clark. Then Clark prayed again to say, thank you. This simple faith of a young boy brought answers to his earnest prayer when he needed help, simple as it was. Brigham Young said, Were I to draw a distinction in all the duties that are required of the children of men from first to last, I would place first and foremost the duty of seeking unto the Lord our God until we open the path of communication from heaven to earth, from God to our own souls. To one of his sons who was attending a university in New York, Brigham Young wrote, As you advance in life, you will find every position and occupation surrounded by its peculiar temptations, the great strength and bulwark against all of which is prayer to our Heavenly Father. Cultivate this spirit, and you will find that it shall be a wall of fire around you and your glory in the midst of you. In its practice, 
you will find a safeguard against the wiles of the adversary, and every good resolution will be fortified by it, and every seductive influence will lose its power to annoy you. To the members of the Church, he admonished, Ask him, that is God, to put you just where he wants you and to tell you what he wants you to do and feel that you are on hand to do it. Of all the wealth of information available to you as students at this university and out of the great amount of knowledge you are trying to gain, can there be anything more important for you to know than the will of God for you, where he wants you to be and what he wants you to do? He has provided you with a way to know. He has given to you, to all of us, the simple but powerful principle and privilege of prayer. In October 2000 General Conference, President Hinckley gave us this instruction. There is no other resource to compare with prayer. To think that each of us may approach our Father in Heaven, who is the great God of the universe, for individual help and guidance, for strength and faith, is a miracle in and of itself. We come to Him by invitation. Let us not shun the opportunity which He has afforded us. President Hinckley has further expressed our need as individuals to seek more diligently to obtain the Spirit of the Lord and let it be the governing influence in our lives. Seeking to know the will of our Father in Heaven through prayer and desiring strength to do His will will draw, draw Him near to us. This practice brings to us a unity with Him of direction and purpose. He has made it easy for us, as easy as He can, to communicate with Him. He has given us a pattern for prayer, and He has made Himself always available to us. He has told us to pray often, pray continually, have a prayer in our hearts always that we would not be led into temptation. Now, Although the act of praying is simple, Answers to prayers are not always that simple to recognize. However, the Lord has given us a means of identifying His answer. Remember His words to Oliver Cowdery, Yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Now this is the spirit of revelation. When He brings our mind and heart into harmony on the matter about which we are praying, we have experienced the spirit of revelation and therefore have the answers to our prayers. Most often an answer to prayer comes simply as a feeling of peace. Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God was his response to Oliver Cowdery. Now there are times when we may feel that, that peace and therefore feel certain that we have received an answer to our prayers. We feel inspired to pursue a particular course of action, and then we encounter bumps in our road or obstacles in our way. We may run into a darkness or fog that slows us down or blocks our view of the desired destination. Doubts or questions may arise concerning the source of our inspiration. We may even feel that the Lord didn't hear our prayers after all or that we are unworthy of the blessing we have asked for. We may even be tempted to turn away from the inspiration we have received 
or to seek another answer from the Lord. Perhaps a different or easier course could be found. We may even become discouraged enough to quit praying. Well, Brigham had some teachings on that, too. He said, Let no person give up on prayer because he has not the spirit of prayer. Neither let any earthly circumstance hurry you while in the performance of this important duty. By bowing down before the Lord to ask Him to bless you, you will simply find this result. God will multiply blessings on you temporally and spiritually. It is important, therefore, for us to continue to pray as the Lord has taught, with real intent, with all the energies of our heart. We must pray for the spirit of peace to be with us and for strength of faith to do what is required for the spirit to remain with us. Trust in him and stay the course. Leave the, Lord's leave in the matter in the Lord's hands and have faith in his timetable. We should not counsel the Lord nor try to predict how our prayer should be answered. Brigham Young said we should keep our spirit feelings and conscience like a sheet of blank paper. Let the spirit and power of God write upon it what he pleases. And then he said, when he writes, I will read. But if I read before he writes, I am very likely to be wrong. Instead of searching after what the Lord is going to do for us, let us inquire what we can do for ourselves, he said. Now, answers to prayers may require fasting. Another simple thing we can do to draw nearer to the Lord and one of the few things we can do to give ourselves to him. Often answers to our prayers may be found in a simple verse of Scripture. It has been said that when we want to talk to the Lord, we pray. When we want him to talk to us, we read the scriptures. And then when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. Obedience in doing the simple things has always been the means of obtaining the greatest blessings of the Lord. Remember the story of Naaman, a captain for the king of Syria? He was a great man with, the ma with his master because the Lord had given deliverance to Syria through uh, Naaman. He was a mighty man of valor, the scriptures tell us, but he was a leper. At the direction of his king, Naaman went to Elisha, the prophet, to be healed of his dreaded affliction. He came with his horses and with his chariot, stood at Elisha's door, and I suppose his knock was very loud. But Elisha didn't come. He sent a messenger who told Naaman to go and wash in Jordan seven times and he would be healed. Frankly, this angered Naaman. He said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Well, then his servant came to him and said, If the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, Wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Well, Naaman, Naaman was humbled and went to the river Jordan and did as Elijah had instructed, and he was made clean as Elijah had promised. Are we not all sometimes like Naaman, looking for big and important things to do and 
bypassing the simple acts that could improve and heal our lives and bless the lives of others. Several years ago, President Howard W. Hunter gave a devotional address to the students of this university entitled, What is True Greatness? He taught that the achievement of true greatness always requires regular, consistent, small, and sometimes ordinary and mundane steps over a long period of time. Well, he taught this lesson to me in a very personal way. First time I met him was when I was called to his office to be set apart for an uh, assignment to a general board. He greeted me very kindly and discussed with me the opportunities I would have as I served in this new calling. He commended me, smiled at me, and then in his gentle, kind manner, he humbled me by telling me it was not difficult to find people to serve in that assignment. He said, if we were to stop, step outside and stop the next hundred members of the church who passed in front of the church administration building, almost all of them would be able and willing to serve in that same calling. Then he asked, do you know what we need in the church, Brother Pinniger? I just sat there, not knowing how to respond. And he didn't really wait for my answer anyway. He said, what we need are home teachers. That's what's a great need in this church today. Well, as he placed his hands on my head, I was uncertain what Elder Hunter would say. I thought he might set me apart as a home teacher. <laughs> but in his pleasant, reassuring manner, he set me apart and gave me a blessing that I would be able to fulfill my new calling. I promised myself. that I'd be a better home teacher. <laughs> the calling of a home teacher, as with many callings in the church, may seem small when compared to some of the leadership positions in the church. But any calling faithfully fulfilled can be of inestimable value to you and to others. President Hunter has said frequently, it is the commonplace tasks that have the greatest positive effect on the lives of others. As a teenage boy, I worked for a building contractor pouring concrete foundations, driveways, and sidewalks for homes. I learned that concrete was made up of a mixture of very simple elements which of themselves were not stable enough for a foundation. But mixed together in proper sequence and proportions, tiny grains of sand, small pebbles, water, and cement powder form a unique substance of unusual strength and durability. For a few hours after the concrete is mixed, it can be poured into any desired form. At first, before it is completely hardened, even a tiny bird hopping across its soft surface will leave an imprint. Later, it becomes so firm an elephant could walk over it without leaving any tracks. Just a few simple elements combined in a proper way, form a sturdy foundation for a house. So do the simple teachings of the gospel bond together to make a strong foundation for our lives. In contrast, we must be aware that there are small things that can destroy rather than build or strengthen us. <clears throat> Tiny grains of sand, of salt sprinkled on concrete, for instance, if they are not removed, can actually cause it to break and crumble. Similarly, small steps taken in the direction of wrongdoing, ignored or uncorrected, will weaken and destroy our lives. 
Big problems grow out of thinking that little wrongs won't matter. President Faust quoted President George Albert Smith when he addressed the priesthood session last October. These are his words. If you cross to the devil's side of the line one inch, you are in the tempter's power. And if he is successful, you will not be able to think or even reason properly because you will have lost the spirit of the Lord. Brigham Young said it this way, Let us choose to do the little things that come to us under the influence of the Spirit of the Lord, and the big things we face will assume their proper perspective in the eternal scope of things. President David O. McKay also spoke of the positive power of small and simple acts. There is no one great thing that we can do to obtain eternal life, and it seems to me that the great lesson to be learned in the world today is to apply in the little acts and duties of life the glorious principles of the gospel. Let us not think that because some of these things may seem small and trivial that they are unimportant. Life, after all, he continues, is made up of little things. Our life, our being physically, is made up here of little heartbeats. Let that little heart stop beating and life in this world ceases. He continued, The great Son is a mighty force in the universe, but we receive the blessings of His rays because they come to us as little beams, which, taken in the aggregate, fill the whole world with sunlight. The dark night is made pleasant by the glimmer of what seem to be little stars. And so the true Christian life is made up of little Christ-like acts performed this hour, this minute, in the home, in the quorum, in the organization, in the town, wherever our life and acts may be cast. Elder Hartman Rector Jr. was a fairly recent uh, convert to the Church when he was called to the First Council of the Seventy. And in a conference address in 1994, he taught a simple message that has had a great impact in my life. He began, I have found the gospel to be very simple but also very profound. He observed that after baptism, it appears that all the Father requires of us is that we endure to the end. I believe that means basically three things, he said. One, repent. Two, forgive others. And three, yes, we must be nice. <laughs> if we're not nice, I don't think we're going to make it. President Hunter's mother, Nellie, taught her son this future prophet. It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Being nice is part of those everyday duties and realities spoken of by Brigham Young. It should come naturally to those who are striving to follow the example and teachings of the Savior. Simple acts of kindness, a kind word, a friendly hello, a thoughtful deed, even a smile can make a great difference in the life of one who is lonely or troubled or without hope. We may assist the Lord in bringing a blessing or even a miracle by the simple act of being nice. It is by our good conduct that we demonstrate charity, the true love of Christ. We emulate and honor Him by our willingness to sacrifice personal comfort for the welfare and happiness of another. The Christ-like qualities of selflessness, patience, honesty, and integrity are the most valuable assets we can acquire that will bless the lives of others as well as our own 
and should be demonstrated in all our associations and endeavors. In Brigham Young's words, I feel to urge upon the Latter-day Saints the necessity of a close application of the principles of the gospel in our lives, conduct, and words, and all that we do. And it requires the whole man, the whole life, to be devoted to improvement in order to come to the knowledge of the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Herein is the fullness of perfection. Through living these simple principles, you and I will find great blessings of enlightenment, enabling us to make a greater contribution of good in the lives of others. And you will learn, as Brigham Young declared, that the religion of Jesus Christ is a matter-of-fact religion that influences every duty and reality of life. I bear witness of him that he lives, that his gospel deserves our very best effort in its application in our lives. And we should put it first here, even at the university, here ahead of our studies, so that we will see our studies in their proper light, and our actions can then be simple, simply wonderful. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches Podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.